Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 901. Writing's a piece of cake, he said. Just imagine that you're going into the pub and telling your buddies about the race that you'd just seen. And then just write the words that you would use if you were talking to them. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from across the pond, as they say, Doug Nye. Hey, Doug, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Um, yes, I suppose I am, actually. <laughs> I um, hope so. I haven't quite heard it put that way before a mere telephone call before. <laughs> well, I'll try to keep it between the, the ditches on either side of the road here so that we'll both be safe and sound and have a, a fun journey here on Cars, yeah. Doug Nye, who lives in Surrey, England, is recognized as a world authority on competition cars and has been an automotive journalist and author for over 54 years. In 1963, at the age of 18, Doug went to work on the British magazine Motor Racing. He eventually became the associate editor, and shortly thereafter, in 1968, he became a freelance writer and remains so till today. He's written for nearly every motorsport magazine and has produced some 70, yes, 70 books on motor racing. He's worked as a race consultant for Bonham's Auctions House. He's founding consultant to Goodwood Motorsports, that little event and is one of the organizers of the Goodwood Festival of Speed, the Revival Meeting, and Members Meeting since 1992, since the beginning. Doug is a movie archivist, worked on TV shows, is involved in a new documentary movie, Ferrari, Race to Immortality. I hope we hear about that. It's just out. It is on the advisory council of the British National Motor Museum. His involvement in motorsports goes on and on and on. And his most recent project is the book Inside Track, where he worked for 10-plus years with Derek Hill to create an all-inclusive book about world champion Phil Hill. And if you missed yesterday's show with Derek Hill on the show, go back and please do listen. Doug, I've told our listeners just a little bit about your career. I could go on and on because it's so long. So would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about it and your passion for automobiles before we jump into all my questions? Uh, yes. When I hear you, Mark, talking about my career like that, I uh, I get a bit embarrassed, to be honest, because I have done an awful lot. But you've got to remember, it, it spread over a long, long time. And, you know, uh, when I first went freelance, my father regarded me as being unemployed. And I guess <laughs> I've been sort of self-unemployed ever since 1968, really. But it's been incredibly busy since then and people have, in general you know good people in the motor racing world have been very kind to me i uh, i've written a lot of books i've made a lot of tv and uh, big screen movie documentaries about racing subjects and i've been very fortunate in the people that i've worked with because over the years you know i've worked with some extremely good people and um and they really taught me an awful lot and I'll always be grateful to them, you know, starting with sort of the likes of Sterling Moss and, and Dennis Jenkinson, you know, the, 
the driver and the navigator in the 1955 mm winning Mercedes Benz. Um, I work with Jenks a hell of a lot, and uh, I've done books and so on with Sterling and Jack Brabham, Jackie Stewart, Colin Chapman, and more recently Ross Braun and uh, Ron Dennis and all sorts of people. And uh, some of them have been easier to work with than others, but I've learned from every one of them. No doubt. I, your resume goes on and on and on, and I've known of you and read your writings for so, so long. And Oh, that makes me feel great. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm not a young guy either, so I've been around for a long time, so that, that's okay. But I was telling Doug when he called in this morning, I felt like I already knew him because I've read so much of your writing. And when I look at this book that you collaborated on with Derek, I think, man, we could do something of this of this volume just about your life and the people that you've encountered. And we're going to learn a lot more about you as we continue on this automotive journey that's been your life. But first, I always like to ask my guests for a mantra or a success quote, something that has great meaning to you. And as a writer, there must be something out there that really sticks with you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Doug, take the wheel. Take the wheel, yeah. Well, we're going to zigzag wildly from one curb to the other with me <laughs> behind the wheel. I think, you know, if you're asking about an inspirational sort of quote or mantra, I'm not really the person who lives by those things. But, but one thing does stick in my mind. Dennis Jenkinson, Jenks, who was the great doyen of race car or of um, motor racing reporters, you know, as continental correspondent of Motorsport magazine, told me in the 1960s, writing's a piece of cake, he said, just imagine that you're going into the pub and telling your buddies about the race that you'd just seen, and then just write the words that you would use if you were talking to them. And uh, somebody said to me that, a lot of my writing is very sort of conversational style, and I'm sure it all comes from that. You know, no airs or graces, just tell it like it is. Um, the other thing is that you have to be true to yourself. And if you form an opinion for whatever reason, which is diametrically different from a commonly held opinion within the motorsporting world, you just owe it to yourself to come out and say it. So over the years, I guess I've earned a bit of a bit of a reputation for telling it like it is, right or wrong, and that upsets some people, and it doesn't upset other people. And um, the only thing I can say is that right or wrong, it will be honestly held opinion, and there will be evidence to back it up. And those really are the things that you live by, you know, as a working journalist but more so as a working historian, you try to ensure that you tell the truth. And the truth has got to be unvarnished, actually. And the best people that you work with will respect you for it, <laughs> even if it's inconvenient. <laughs> and, you know, if anybody takes a different view, then that's somebody to be a little bit suspicious of. And that's the way we've worked, really, for, well, you know, through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, <laughs> and now in the 2010s. But it's been incredibly sort of busy time, and I can't believe we've got as far as we have, actually. Still doing the same thing. You know, some people have got no imagination that, you know, I'm stuck in a rut. <laughs> well, 
Nice rut you've brought us into your life there. And boy, that sounds simple. Just uh, write what you would say as you're sitting in a pub with your mates. But uh, it's not that simple, but you sure make it sound and seem simple in your uh, your writings over the years. I want you to go back in time and share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars. Go way, way, way back and tell us about a pivotal moment as you remember it when you realized that you were a car guy. <laughs> yes, that is a long time ago. That's actually <laughs> 1955 or 56. And I was a kid walking to school. I lived in a little town called Guildford in the south of England, halfway between London and the coast. And the main road to London passes through Guildford, and I was walking up that road, and I heard this wonderful noise coming up behind me. And I looked round, and it was the works team of Jaguar D-type sports cars driving up the main road. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) On their way back from Le Mans. Wow. And... You know, there were three of the cars and they came blasting past me and uh, I watched them going away up the hill. Then I I realized that there was this wonderful sweet smell of sort of Castrolar lubricant oil in the air, burnt in their exhaust. And then I saw their brake lights go on, you know, and they changed down through the gearbox and they swept left out of sight at the top of the hill. And... uh, you just sort of sit down on the grass verge, you know, with my eyes round of dinner plates. <laughs> and uh, I just went, wow, you know, racing cars. And that was it. You were bit. <laughs> no doubt. What a, way to, what a way to start. Oh, you took us to that moment in time. I could almost smell that castor oil in the air here this morning. Oh, my goodness. What a fun way to start. A passion. Yeah, it was like it was like sort of toad of toad hall, you know. I mean, you know, he apparently when he saw a car for the first time, he flopped down on the verge and said, "Oh bliss, oh joy, oh poop, poop." <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that was exactly the thing with me, and uh, I've just been riveted by race cars ever since. And I'll tell you the strange thing, Mark, I've got no interest in road cars whatsoever. They're about as interesting to me as a fridge or a Hoover. You know, it's just another utility. But you show me any car that raced, and it doesn't matter when. It literally doesn't matter if it's from, you know, 1894 or 1994 or 2017. I still get the same buzz from it. It's, and it's because interesting people have done something interesting with that machine. I don't, you know, I'm not interested in dull people. I like interesting people. And I like competitive people and I like sportsmen, although there's a limit to my liking. And <laughs> it really, you know, it, uh, well, and that, uh, one of my hobbies is, is naval and military history. And I like warriors. That's the thing. And uh, motor racing guys for years and years and years were warriors. And uh, that's one of the things that you see in this new movie that I've been involved with, Ferrari, Race to Immortality. It covers the um, the racing lives of Mike Hawthorne, Peter Collins, Luigi Musso, Eugenio Castellotti, and uh, the Marquis Fond de Portago, all of whom were works drivers for Ferraris in the 1950s, and all of them, sadly, died during that period. 
at the wheel of a motor car. And the, the common bond between them was not just that they were Ferrari works drivers, but they were warriors and they were willing to go out and put their lives on the line in their race cars. And it was a darn dangerous proposition in those days. You know, it really, really was with trackside trees and walls and houses and barbed wire fences and ditches, you know, things to hit everywhere. You make one mistake and you could be very, very badly hurt or you could be dead. And that's a burden that today's Grand Prix drivers or Formula One drivers don't have sitting on their shoulders as they go to the start line. Um, generally, the chances of themselves getting hurt these days are microscopic compared with the chances that those guys of the 1950s had, and indeed all their predecessors going way back into the mists of time. And it's that sort of stuff. You know, it's a technological sport, and I like the technology of it. I like the engineering of it, but I like the nobility of it and the bravery of it and the courage of it. Indeed. Wow. Very well put. Well, Doug, yeah, I love the line you said when you decided to be a freelancer, your father said, oh, great, now you're unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> he was very wise, my old man. Yes, most of them are. Most of them are. They've got some uh, seat time, as they say. But I would love for you over this long period and journey of your career, talk about a huge challenge or even big failure. No doubt when you're in that position, there's lots of challenges that we're, we're put up against. I'd love for you to take us to one, walk us through it, and then tell us what you learned from it, because those types of things certainly are great teachers. So take us to one of yours. Goodness. I'll tell you what, Mark, that's a really difficult question. And that is because I've been so lucky in what might laughably be described for my career, as my career, because I... I I can't think of that many things that have gone wrong. You know? <laughs> Fortunate man. No, I really can't. It's, it's very difficult to think of anything that's gone seriously wrong. But mm -hmm. I think the great thing is when you work for yourself, especially if you, if you, you know, just got married, you've got a young wife and maybe a growing family. I mean, you know, there are great concerns, obviously, about keeping a roof over your head and, and earning your living. And I've just been a, a great believer in, in um, you know, if you, the good Lord will provide, basically. But just occasionally, just a bit, like every minute of every day, you've got to give him a helping hand. <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> you know, meet him halfway. It's, it's a bit like if you go in for a lottery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's the old joke about the guy who was saying, oh, Lord, you know, why can't I win the lottery? And suddenly there's a great crash of thunder and lightning bolt, and the voice comes down from from the sky saying, "Meet me halfway, at least buy a ticket." <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would help. And that's what you've got to do. Yeah, buy you've a ticket. You've got to do that. You've got to buy a ticket, and you've got to work. You've got to, you know, if if you've got any trace of talent, or you think you've got a trace of talent, as long as you're not completely wrong. Just work at it, you know, just try harder. Yes. Just never give up. It's sort of Lewis Hamilton stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard that never, ever give up, of course, attributed to the great Sir Winston Churchill, uh, a fellow yes. that lived over there with you <laughs> way back when. Yes, God bless him. 
Yes, of course. One of the things I've heard from a lot of my guests who are entrepreneurs and especially freelance artists, writers, journalists, is you never know where that next job is coming from. What little piece of wisdom can you offer people that are maybe younger that want to get into the field, no matter what it is, but want to be entrepreneurial that keeps them going? You touched on it a little bit there. You got to just keep going. Get up every morning and work hard and work hard. But what's a little piece of wisdom you might offer that person? you're any good at all believe in yourself basically mm. you know when people are telling you that, that that's a piece of rubbish or you're going in the wrong direction or it won't work either take that on board and be very introspective and look at yourself and think am I right or am I wrong and if you think you're wrong and they're right then take their advice if you're convinced the other way then stick to your guns, you know, and hope that it will come right. And if you're any good, you know, you will be doing the right thing. But the other thing is you've just got to be nice to people. <laughs> that helps, you've doesn't got it? To be. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yes. You know, you've got to be nice to people. You've got to be straight with people and you don't tread on anybody. Yes. Because if you tread in somebody on the way up, for damn sure they'll tread on you on the way down. <laughs> now, there's a quote I want to write down. You know, I think you're right, and you mentioned it earlier. It has to do with all the people you meet. Getting out there, meeting people, being kind, working hard. It's all the basics, but it takes a lot of work. Now, how about a career aha moment? Uh, is there a point in your career where you kind of went, yes, this is the right direction that I'm going is there one of those in your life? I think the only the only one that I can think of is when I was at my school and studying arts subjects, you know, and I was pretty good at things like history and art and geography and that sort of stuff, English English literature. And our English mistress we had at our school, a teacher said to me, Douglas, if you uh, work terribly hard, you'll get a, a, a jolly good exam and you'll, we'll get you a place at Oxford University. And if you get an arts degree, you can get a wonderful job teaching. And I thought, well, do I really want a job teaching kids an essentially useless subject, <laughs> arts <laughs> subject, um, simply so that they can get a job teaching other kids, so that they can get a job teaching other uh, kids, and yes. so on, ad infinitum, you see. Mm -hmm. Plus the fact that my mum and dad were dirt poor. You know, we lived in what would, um, I guess, in America, uh, what do you call sort of publicly owned housing? The projects? The projects, yeah, exactly. Well, we, li we lived in project houses, which were lovely. They were absolutely spotless, you know, and uh, very, very poor people, really. My father was a gardener, and he worked for the same family for over 40 years. It was kind of upstairs, downstairs, you know, father and, you know, uh, sort of employer and family employer and uh, a minor servant at the big house sort of deal. And that's one of the reasons that I get on as well as I do with Lord March, the Duke of Richmond now at Goodwood, I think, because we both understand the surf system. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, if a surf nowadays wants to give the Baron lip and um, tell him that he's wrong, 
but he's mad and it won't work, you know, we can do that. Whereas in my dad's day, if he'd um, said that's a family employer, you know, he would probably have lost his house. But, you know, times change. But it gave me a very, very realistic grounding in life. And it's because we never had a motor car. That motor cars to me, when I was a kid, were unattainable. And a motor car was a, was a really exotic thing, you know. And one of my uncles actually had a car. He had a fabric-bodied Austin 10, which in retrospect was horrible. You know, I mean, absolutely flat out at about 40 miles an hour, it rattled and creaked and leaked. And it was a dreadful old thing. It was sort of the British equivalent of a fliver. <laughs> but, you know, it was a motor car. And whenever I got to ride in it, I was sort of absolutely entranced. And it's because I regarded motor cars as being um, exotic and unattainable. Uh, and indeed aircraft as being exotic and unattainable, that I've been fascinated all my life by motor cars and by aeroplanes. There you go. And so, you know, I've had these two sort of very schoolboy-style interests, and here I am in my 70s now, and uh, I've still got these schoolboy-style interests. As I said, you know, stuck in a rut. <laughs> a very nice rut indeed. Well, you've been, um, or you've earned, I should say, many awards, accolades. You've met so many wonderful people, created so many things. I would assume you've had a few proud moments in your career over the years. Is there one that stands out you would share with us? No, nah, not really. I'm <laughs> not, a proud, not a proud person. <laughs> yes. I mean, best moment in my life was when my first child was born. Mm. And the second best moment was when the second followed. Yes. And they were both, both fit and well. Yes. And my wife emerged from the experience fit and well and didn't really hold it against me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Very nicely. Uh, no, all that, all that sort of thing. It's a matter of keeping it all in proportion. Yes. I've been very lucky in what, what is my hobby I've been able to learn, our, I've been able to earn our living from. You know, I don't work. I just do something that interests me. Very nicely put. Well, let's have a little bit of fun then. Let's go back in time to when you did get that first very special vehicle in your life. And tell us what that was. First very special one? Yes. Well, well my, my, my first ever car was a Sunbeam Talbot 80 saloon car, which didn't run. And I, I painted it a particularly horrible shade of Garden Gate Green, brush painted in my brother's in the garden of my brother's house and uh, we never did get it running and I sold that eventually when I was about 16 or 17 and then I got a Morris Minor MM saloon car that dated from 1949 and I bought that in about 1962 or 63 and that was pretty exciting you know teaching myself to go around corners faster and faster until I spun off. Decided I wasn't going to be world champion racing driver. <laughs> uh, but for me, I think, you know, the biggest opportunity I've ever had, I I've got to drive lots and lots of competition cars. Lots of them, you know, Formula One cars, sports cars, GT cars. But the biggest, the most exciting thing for me was being invited to drive the Rudy Uhlenhout 
Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR coupe in the Millimilia Retro, Mercedes Museum car. And that, to me, was like, uh, you know, just being given such an honour. It was unbelievable because I did know Rudy Ullinell. I'd, inter- I'd interviewed him several times and we got on very well. And um, he was an amazing man, a very, very significant engineer indeed, you know, on a, one of the world's top five, probably top ten during his frontline career. And to be driving such a car, you know, which was really sort of the millimilia winning open top sports car with the roof on it, shatteringly noisy. I mean, shatteringly noisy inside the cabin. It was like sitting on the inside ledge of a bell while the dancing's <laughs> being rung, you know. And that was just the most amazing experience and, and one that I, I'm infinitely grateful to Mercedes-Benz for inviting me to do it. I would never have dreamed of asking them if I could drive it in that event. They came to me and offered, and I was really thrilled with it. I guess the other thing that I was really thrilled with was when Sterling Moss said to me that I ought to be a member of the British Racing Drivers Club. And uh, that, to me, was receiving a great accolade, being made an associate member of the club, you know, because that's a very historic body. It's had its ups and downs, but uh, it's the only club I would ever want to be a member of because uh, basically I'm unclubbable. I'm a very independent bloke. <laughs> unclubbable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, I'm very proud of uh, being a member of the BRDC. As you should be. As you should be. Well, how about Schiller's Remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned over your lifetime that you wish you had back in the garage? The one that got away. <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> this is silly. I've had very few cars as road cars, but the road cars I've had, I've absolutely adored. And I had a three and a half litre V8 Rover SD1 mm-hmm. that I owned for 12 years. And it was a manual five speed. And it went like a rocket and it handled very well. And being a very practical bloke, you could get a sheet of eight before plywood in the back of the car. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, I mean, serious stuff, seriously practical. Um, unfortunately, the bodywork was rubbish and it rusted away. And I came home one day after having owned this wonderful car for 12 years. And my dear wife, Valerie, had sold it to a passing gypsy for £70. <laughs> and I oh, could not believe it but it was gone and that was it it was so rusty she wouldn't she refused to go out in it and but she'd sold it and uh, that was it so that fixed that problem yeah and since then i've been a land rover man and i trundle around the world in land rovers Perfect. Well, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your involvement in this book with uh, Derek, who was on the show yesterday. Derek Hill, wonderful book titled Inside Track. I have a collector's copy here at my home that I've been enjoying every evening ever since I got it, leading up to our talk here today. Tell our listeners a little bit about this book, and I'll remind our listeners out there that one lucky subscriber to Cars Yeah is going to win the bookshop copy of this book. Just go to carsyad.com and click on the free book button. I'll send you my filler up book ebook as a thank you. But tell us about your involvement in this very, very long and involved book. 
Well, it's very, very long. It, it runs really to two huge volumes, what we call the gallery volumes of Phil's wonderful photography, because he was a fantastic photographer. And not only that, he photographed the races that he went to and the places he went to in color, wonderful Kodachrome color from 1950 right through to 1962. And we've built the book with two gallery volumes. They're well over 400 pages each and they're large size and they contain something like 1,100 plus of Phil's photographs with long captions. And what Phil used to do very, very occasionally, if you talk to him really nicely, he'd give you a slideshow of his photography and he'd stand by the projector and he'd talk through the photograph that he was projecting on a screen. And effectively, the long, long captions to each of the photographs in the book replicate Phil standing beside the projector, talking about the picture, and saying, if you look down on the left there, there's Jean Bera, the great French driver, and he lived with such and such, and they had a pet poodle called Fifi, <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and just wonderful anecdotes and you just wander off into what was Phil's world in the 1950s. So we've got these two huge volumes that you've got there, Mark, with all those wonderful photographs in. And they are good, aren't they? Yes. Oh, I just got lost in them and I, I barely touched the surface of this thing because it's so, so wonderful. And I, I mentioned to Derek, I had the pleasure of having lunch with Phil way, way back when I was racing a Lotus 18 here in the Pacific Northwest, and he was a featured guest. And to get to sit with that man, you're right. I mean, he, the way he spoke was just stories. But tell us about how your involvement tied you into this very long project, because you, you mentioned to me this was a 10-plus year ordeal, right? Oh, very much. Well, it's closer to 14, 16 years, actually. I'd known Phil for donkey's years, and we'd worked together on road and track, salon track tests and so on, from the 70s forward. And in 1999, 2000, Miles Collier at the Collier Museum, Collier Collection in Naples, Florida, invited us to co-present for him a connoisseurship symposium for, you know, leading collectors, and it would be a very exclusive event. Um, uh, but it would last three or four days, and, and, and we'd do a number of presentations about what makes historic cars historic and what makes collectible cars collectible. And Phil would talk about the cars in the collection there. I would talk about the race cars in the collection there, which were the only ones that I understood, you know. And... Um, Anyway, we, we, we co-presented this thing and it turned out to be hugely successful and, and people clamored to do it again. And so we did some more and we ended up doing a whole series of these. But very early on, Phil and, and his wife, Alma, dear Alma, you know, what a force of nature that lady is. Um, she uh, said to me, you know, that, that a suggestion had come up, you know, for, that Phil would should have a book of his photography published. And in conversation, I said to him, you know, that Phil, you know, you're such a thoughtful bloke, because he was. He was he was one of the most intelligent of racing drivers. He was far too intelligent 
to do anything as dumb as driving a race car, <laughs> quite honestly. Phil, you know, was a, was a mechanic, and he was sent to England in 1949-50 to study at Jaguar cars, at MG cars, at SU Carburettors, and at Rolls-Royce so that he could take the lessons he learned there back to America so that he could service cars at International Motors in Hollywood. And while in this country, in 1950, he went to Easter Monday Goodwood race meeting. And there he saw a Grand Prix car and heard a Grand Prix car for the first time. So he actually you know, was introduced to Grand Prix cars in my country. And Phil looking back, said at that time, the limit of his ambition was one day to be race mechanic to a great racing driver. Well, 12 years later, that same man won the Formula One Drivers' World Championship. Now, that can't be bad, can it? Uh, No, not at all. And he told me that every time he formed up on the starting grid for a Grand Prix, he'd look across and there'd be Sterling Moss, and there'd be Juan Manuel Fangio, and there'd be Wolfgang von Trips and Peter Collins and Mike Hawthorne and all these other greats, and later Jimmy Clark and Jackie Stewart and so on. And he'd look round at them, and he'd say to himself, what am I doing here? I'm only a race mechanic. He was such an intelligent, thoughtful bloke. He was a real rounded human being. He had a great sense of humour as well. And very slowly, with the help of Derek and with their family friend Steve Dawson, the photographer. Steve did a lot of work with the photographs and he did a tremendous amount of work interviewing Phil and getting long tapes, audio tapes, which included lots of Phil anecdotes while looking at the photographs. And from that, we put together his autobiography and that's the third volume of this trilogy of books. So you've got two 400 whatever they are, 430-page volumes of photographs. And then you've got the third 430-page volume, which we've just printed 10 days ago, which is the autobiography. And that's Phil's full autobiography. And that's cram-packed with over 800 pictures on its own. And all the text, there's a couple of hundred thousand words of text in there. And really, for me, it's been almost a life's work, I guess, you know, you know, since I, I've known Phil since the, the 70s, well, since he was racing actually in the 60s. And in fact, the last race that he drove, the BOAC 500, six-hour race at Brands Hatch in England, when he won with the pie-winged Chaparral 2F co-driving with Mike Spence, he won his very last race and decided at that point retire on a high note and that's what, he, that's what he ultimately did. Well, I was the press officer at that race way back then. So, you know, we went back a long, long way. I think so. Wow. Well, it's absolutely spectacular. And uh, as I enjoyed my talk with Derek yesterday, he returned. He was a guest here a couple years ago. It was so wonderful to listen to his stories about his father and now to hear you and your involvement. And by the way, tomorrow, Steve Dawson is going to be a guest here on Cars Yeah to talk about this book and his involvement as well. 
And again, listeners, uh, you've got to get your hands on a copy of this, and I'll make sure I put links to philhillbooks.com, the website where you can go and find them. And again, one lucky listener is going to get a copy of the Bookshop Edition. I can only apologize on one thing, Mark. Sorry to interrupt. Yes. But I can only apologize on one thing, and that is these are darned expensive books. I mean, they really are. But relative to what you get for the money and relative to the effort and the thought and the creativity that's gone into them, we think they offer, you know, significant and um, enduring value. And the books have been designed as a time machine. And you open these great big books, you look into the photographs, you don't just look at them, you look into them because they are big. And you lose yourself in the period. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, somebody will come into the room and shout at you four hours later because they <laughs> thought you <laughs> yep. thought you passed out. That's exactly what happened here. My wife said, are you still looking at that book? But I'll tell our listeners, when this arrived on my doorstep, this thing's huge. I mean, I picked up the box and I said, oh, Derek must have sent me like 10 books. And it is like getting 10 books in one or two, depending on which volume you get. The first, There's several variations you can go, different price points, depending on what you want to spend. This is a legacy book. Well, I think it weighs 27 pounds. Oh, gosh, yeah. It was a heavy, big box. So, (laughs) oh, again, absolutely brilliant, wonderful. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Doug. This is kind of a fun one. And a fellow Brit suggested this question. So if you don't like it, you can blame him. Harold Cleworth, who's an automotive artist and painter who uh, has been on this show. If Doug was an automobile, what would he be and why? (laughs) Um, <laughs> yes, thank you, Harold. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be a rusty, completely worn out sort of 1960 DeSoto or something, <laughs> you know. Um, but what I'd like to be, because I'm a no frills, very sort of practical bloke, I, uh, I think I'd probably be perfectly happy to come back as Land Rover Discovery. There you go. Yep, a guy who can go anywhere and do anything and carry around 4 by 8 sheets of plywood if needed. So. Oh, wonderful. Well, Doug, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. 
In addition to Premier Plush and Berber Custom Floor Mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Okay, Doug, we are back and we're entering the last lap. You've been around enough racetracks to know what that means. So white flag's out. Time to put our foot into it. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? The best car is a free car. <laughs> You're the first person that's ever said that. <laughs> yeah, we'll always rely on something that somebody's lent to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, road test cars, loan cars in yeah. the terms of the press or, you know, no, let somebody else own it, but you get used to it. There you go. The, the use of it. I mean, it helps if, if you've got a friend, great friend as I have, Paul Vesti, who backed out uh, Phil Hillbook. He owns a Ferrari 250 GTO, which oh. is, I've got to drive quite often. So that does help. Oh, honestly. I would think so. Oh, my gosh. Those are the kind of friends to have. It's like boats. The best kind of boat to own is a friend with a boat. <laughs> Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your many successes over the years? Personal habit? Yes. Uh, I, I wouldn't dare talk about my personal habit to an American audience. I mean, good, good Lord, Mark, we haven't been properly introduced. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> I don't know about that. But right now, I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly phlegmatic, laid-back sort of bloke. But I do have the ability to concentrate and to concentrate hard. There you go. And I've got what I'm told is a ferocious work ethic, and that definitely comes from my dad. Yes. You know, we work like Trojans and don't get paid a penny, you know, and they shovel rubbish onto us. It's tough life here being a mushroom. (laughs) A tough life being a mushroom. Another great quote by Doug Nye. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a resource that you are really fond of? This could be a blog that you like to read, a website you like to go to, suppliers. Maybe it's a person in your life. No, that that actually is a very easy question to answer. It's one of the easiest answers, quite honestly. All Sport Magazine has got a, a, a website called the Nostalgia Forum. The Autosport Nostalgia Forum. If you just dial up Autosport Magazine and you'll see the forum in the bar at the top and click on that. That is the finest research tool on the web. It's the finest research tool I've ever encountered. If you've got any racing history questions, ask that community and somebody will pop up on there with the answer. Brilliant. Brilliant. Fantastic. If I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive field or industry, racing included, living or deceased, who would that chap be? Well, as a teetotaler, I don't really drink, so that's easily answered. It could be a cup of tea. <laughs> oh, no, no, oh, no, you're talking. No, you're talking. Okay. Yep, yep. If they didn't mind joining me in a cup of tea, who would I like to talk? Well, I would love some of my old friends back who've now passed away. That's one thing. When it comes to somebody, I think probably somebody like John Cobb, the world land speed record driver, who is renowned by all who knew him as being a wonderful guy, almost completely silent, very shy, very shy person, 
I've never heard anybody with a bad word for him. Yeah, somebody like John Cobb or um, Sandry Seagrave, actually, who was a, a, a better driver than Cobb in road racing terms. He was a Grand Prix winner, but he also, of course, broke the land speed record. And uh, those kinds of guys, you know, um, guys that I read... When I was a kid, they were some of the first great British motor racing heroes that I read about. And, uh, you know, that they would be people that you would, that I would want to spend time with. I would think so. Now, aside from this great book that you collaborated on, uh, Inside Track, the story of Phil Hill, and of course you've written over 70 books, this question might be a challenge because I assume you like books. Is there one book you could recommend <laughs> to our listeners? Yeah, I'm not actually a masochist. I do actually like books. Yes, <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's that's easy as well. My favorite book is Stand On It by Stroke Race. Ah. <laughs> brilliant book. Yes. Brilliant book. And Burt Reynolds and co. turned it into a rubbish movie. And uh, I think that was unforgivable because the book is a fantastic read. And it's really a compilation of every silly motor racing story that the writers had ever heard in their lives woven together into a narrative. And it's brilliantly well done. And I absolutely adore the book. And it just appeals to my sense of humor. Perfect. Perfect. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these wonderful resources Doug has been so kind to share with us today on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to carsyeah.com, type in Doug Nye, N-Y-E, of course, is the spelling of his last name, and you'll find that page with all these great links. All right, Doug, we're up to the checkered flag here, the fun one, but this question can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car, vintage race car, classic car, whatever you'd like. Money is not the issue today because I'm writing the check. What would that car be <laughs> and why? Another free car, eh? Another free car, just the way you like them. Honestly, this is going to sound daft again, but there's just one such car for me that I've dreamed about nearly all my life, and that was Henry Seagrave's Golden Arrow, the World Land Speed Record Breaker. It lives in the National Motor Museum um, here at Bewley, down on the Hampshire coast. It's got 43 miles on the clock, I think. That's all it's got. That's all it ever did. And Seagrave and the Sunbeam Company just took it out to Daytona Beach, had a practice run or two, set it up, smashed the land speed record, put the car on the boat, took it home, you know, bish, bash, bosh, job done. <laughs> well done. And it looks like the ultimate Flash Gordon car. If you don't know what Gold Marrow looked like, dial it up on, on Google and have a look at the images of it. And uh, it, as I say, it's like a sort of a Flash Gordon idea of what a land speed record car should look like. You really tricked me with that answer. I would have never thought that would be the one for you. But now that I've talked to you here uh, and you've spent some time with me, I understand 100%. Doug, you've taken us on a fantastic ride today. I have enjoyed talking with you so much. I want to thank you for calling in from uh, England to talk with us here on Cars Yeah. Would you offer us one little piece of wisdom or guidance before you race off into the sunset in that land speed record race car? One piece of advice. Yes. Goodness me. I don't know. 
concentrate hard and do the right thing by yourselves and your family. Yes, very well said. And is there a good way for our listeners to follow along with what you're doing? Do you have a website? Well, I, I do a weekly blog for the Goodwood Road Racing Club, which is on the internet. It's on one of the Goodwood websites. And if you just type in Goodwood and Doug Nye, you'll find a load of boring old rubbish by me <laughs> that's posted every week. And I do a monthly, um, uh, a regular column in Motorsport Magazine, the British Motorsporting Magazine. And, you know, it's the usual thing, bar mitzvahs, lawn, lawns mowed, <laughs> you know, uh, y- you name it, we'll do it. You'll do it. And, of course, uh, listeners, go back. You can probably find almost every book that Doug's uh, penned and written on Amazon or bookstores across the world. There are so many of them to recommend here. I would encourage you to go to carsyow.com. Again, type in Doug9 in the search bar. You'll find that page. I'll put many, many links there to all the wonderful things he's produced. And again, one very lucky subscriber here at Carsyow is going to receive the bookshop copy of this incredible collaboration, Inside Track, The Life of Phil Hill. One very lucky person. But you know, you do yourself a favor and get your book, get your hands on this book, and it's available now for holidays. So if you're sending Santa Claus a wish list, this should be on that list. Doug, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your wonderful lifelong experiences with the Carjal listeners and with me. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, bro. Thank Goodbye. you. Cheers. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.